Certificates from Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Certificates from the Richmond Examiner. The Negro Race. In the able and learned lectures of Mr. Glidden, our attention was particularly excited by his accounts of the antiquities in the Egyptian province of Monroe, because those antiquities constitute the most striking illustration of Negro civilization which history or archaeology can produce. Monroe was a country on the Nile, above Egypt, when the last-named and most famous seat of ancient civilization was overrun by Cambyses and other cruel conquerors, a portion of the inhabitants retreated up the river and established themselves in Monroe. Hither they transported their old forms of government, of worship, their old arts, and their antique customs. They built great temples and excavated tombs. They erected obelisks, they covered them with inscriptions in their hieroglyphic alphabet, and the inscriptions and sculptures, which date from the first generations of this colony, are found to be as perfect as those of the lower Nile. But the colony was cut off from the body of the nation by intervening deserts and fierce nomads. The number of emigrants was never increased from the old races. Necessarily, the men were in a great disproportion to the women, and they were forced to take their wives and concubines from the captives which they made in their wars with the surrounding and barbarous tribes. Now the Egyptians were of a different race, but these tribes were Negroes. Hence, the second generation of the Monroeites were mulattoes, the process of amalgamation continued. They formed harems from their sable purchases, so that the third generation were sambos. The next were still nearer the negro type, and the work proceeded until all traces of Caucasian blood disappeared, and Monroe was inhabited by a pure black race, like that of the vast regions on its boundaries. The most interesting circumstance connected with these facts is the continued deterioration in the sculptural remains of the country, and their final cessation with the disappearance of the white blood. The inscriptions and portraits of the original immigrants, as before said, are equal to those of the old empire. But in those of their mulatto children, there is a great difference. The sculpture is clumsy, the inscriptions in bad grammar, and in worse orthography. The next are inferior even to those, and in the succeeding generation it becomes evident that they wholly lost the language, and no longer understood what they wrote. The inscriptions are nothing more than miserable copies from the earlier works, so that on a tomb that is evidently of a late date, will be found a badly executed copy of the inscription on the tomb of its owner's great-grandfather, even the date and name being unaltered. After that, they lost even the power of intelligible imitations, 
and a few scrawls on uncarved rocks are the latest remains that are found. The Monroeites then cease to be Egyptians even in name and tradition. They have forgotten language, government, religion, and arts. They have no buildings and no enduring tombs. The province is no longer distinguishable from the country around. The race has relapsed into absolute Negro barbarism. This illustration of their incapacity not merely to attain civilization, but even to retain it when given them, is a type of the universal history of the Negro race. The world has their history in its hands for the space of nearly 5,000 years. Negroes appear on the sculpture of old Egypt. But in that multitudinous country, they were utterly valueless. The Egyptians considered them too stupid to be worth teaching even agricultural drudgery, and we only see their figures when led as captives in the triumph of some belligerent pharaoh. From that time until this, the negro has never appeared, save in three forms of existence, captivity, barbarism, or slavery. The last is the highest form of social life, of which experience, at least, permits us to suppose him capable. Circumstance could never have kept down any race for five thousand years which were capable of rising into civilization. All the white races have been, in time, barbarians. But all its branches have, in time, left it and attained their natural grades of civilization. But the Negro has never left the lowest type of barbarism, save for captivity or slavery. In the vast continent of Africa, they have always existed in millions, with no extraordinary circumstances to depress them. But then we never hear of them, save as cannibal savages. No such thing as a Negro government has ever existed in Africa. Petty kingdoms have existed and do exist, some with so-called cities like Timbuktu. But the half-clad rulers in all these kingdoms are Moors or Philaks, a branch of the Arab family, and the people of Timbuktu are Arabs and Philaks. The Republic of Liberia can scarcely be called an exception, since it is watched and guided by the Colonization Society, supported on all sides by England and by other governments, is reinforced every year from the United States, and is governed by mulattoes. Even with all this assistance, it exhibits evidences of decay and of relapsing into the characteristic barbarism of the neighboring native tribes. Even Mechlin, who lived in Liberia five years, and for part of that time was governor of that colony, has declared the experiment to be a failure, and died in Mobile, with the declaration that he saw no hope of ever rendering the Negro race fit for self-government. On this continent, 
they have received the most signal trial. They were protected by civilized states. They possessed the richest islands on the globe, with the richest commerce at their doors. The result is very notorious. Famine ravages, often, that fertile land. Petty but desolating wars occupy its sections. The only government which subsists is that of a bloody and stupid beast, who is emperor over only one corner of the island. Off from the seaports, the people have lost arts, religion, industry, decency, have relapsed into absolute cannibalism. Dr. Note states, on the authority of an eyewitness, that on two occasions, while traveling in Haiti, he saw the Negroes roasting and eating their Dominican prisoners by the roadside. In the free states of this country, the Negro race can reach every advantage which the white man possesses. Many of them are educated. But where have they evinced capacity to make use of our civilization? Where have their best classes achieved a higher destiny than that of tavern waiters? Where have their masses risen above the very lowest level of the worst population? Where has any individual, even, attained not to say distinction, but respectability in any profession? In England, many Negroes who were supposed to exhibit talent when children have been subjected to the hotbed process of culture, and two or three of these have been brought up to the mark of writing verses. These have been collated into a volume, and Bishop Greger of Blois has written a stupid book to prove therefrom the intellectual equality of the race. But anyone who will take the trouble to read these verses will find them, for the most part, too doggerel, too poor to be called verses at all. And whenever a copy occurs of sufficient merit for the poet's corner of the smallest kind of country newspaper, its author is sure to turn out a mulatto or quadroon when the accompanying biographies are referred to. By the history of the Negro race, it is, therefore, incontrovertibly proven that they are utterly incapable of civilization or development beyond the point of slavery. When the starved barbarian is taken from the wilds of Africa, clothed well, fed well, and associated with the whites, he quickly acquires a certain degree of health, strength, and intelligence. He will quickly ape the white. But there his development ceases. Beyond that, in no instance has he ever gone. Without amalgamation with the white race, he remains where he begun, and sinks so soon as the superior influence is withdrawn. These phenomena are peculiar to the black race. None of the diversified families of the white race exhibit them. To which one of the white races could the advantages be given which lie before the Negroes of the United States without an immediate operation and proof of its talent 
and its intellectual superiority in hundreds and thousands of instances all the white races have been civilized and developed in time and where circumstances have thrown them back into barbarism they all exhibit capacity for civilization but the exact contrary is the characteristic of the negro race what deduction is to be drawn from these facts the plain and inevitable deduction is this that the negro is a totally distinct race from the caucasian that the negro is the connecting link between man and the brute creation that the negro race is designed by nature to be subordinate to and dependent upon the white or superior races that the negro race is the result of a different act of the creator from that which originated the caucasian and is consequently beyond the scope of those abstract axioms which declare that all races are of one blood and have equal rights natural social and political from a correspondent of the nashville and louisville christian advocate bible defense of slavery or origin and history of the negro race this is one among the multitudinous publications of the day that is richly worthy a careful perusal of every lover of truth and justice reason and religion virtue and humanity it is what its title imports a veritable impregnable defense and vindication of the south her rights and peculiar policy and institutions it is no catchpenny harbingered by an ignis futus of a murky imagination and a baser cupidity for purposes of speculation but a work of masterly ability and most profound research this peculiarity of itself apart from its relative connection with a mooted and vexed question would render it a valuable work to the scholar and divine but when we take into consideration its direct bearing upon the absorbing topic of the day and that it is the production of the ablest divines and profoundest scholars of which the great north in all her pride and glory can boast its intrinsic worth then becomes magnified a thousandfold its authors in their patient researches after truth have explored the mighty ocean of biblical scientific and historical lore in all their heights and depths lengths and breadths and planted themselves upon a rock not less firm and immovable than the adamant of ages their own adverse education and preconceived opinions vanished before the splendor of their investigations whilst the sordid vampires of fanaticism and political incendiarism are made to coil their serpent heads and seek refuge in their native dens and caves of pauperism and degradation whence they come and where they unregenerated belong as a legitimate right charleston june sixteenth eighteen fifty one mr w s brown 
I have your acceptable favor of the 27th before me. Since I last wrote, the volume you sent me has come into hand, and I have read it with much attention and great gratification. It is an able and comprehensive defense of our institutions, and I think it will be received everywhere with congratulation. I have thoroughly examined the book and regard it as one of the best productions which has ever appeared in defense of the South. Your book is a favorite in our family, and is, at present, going the rounds for perusal by every member. Very truly and fraternally yours, Edwin Harrell, editor of the Southern Home Journal. From the Monroe Democrat Bible Defense of Slavery this is the title of a work just issued from the press by w s brown m d glasgow kentucky the author maintains that the negroes are the descendants of ham and in fulfillment of the decree of heaven have been in every age servants of servants that they are mentally morally and physically constituted to be such and will be servants in all time to come. These positions are maintained by an appeal to history, to revelation, and to the character of the Negroes. Time will not permit us to enter into anything like a review of this work, but we recommend it to the attention of every man who may feel an interest, as all necessarily must, in the all-engrossing subjects of slavery and abolitionism. Let every southern man read this book, and make up his mind whether slavery is an evil which he should endeavor to extirpate or not. If he decides that it is, then let him acquiesce in northern policy, and more, let him openly advocate it, as honest men at the north do, on the ground that it will end in the abolition of slavery. On the contrary, if he come to the conclusion that slavery is not an evil, but has the sanction of high heaven, as this work most clearly shows, and that it has been a blessing and not a curse, then let him fearlessly defend his rights and wage open and manly war upon the policy adopted expressly and avowedly, for the purpose of overthrowing Southern institutions. This book does not touch upon party questions, as they exist at the South. It is simply what it purports to be, a defense of slavery, and a very able one, too. We hope it will be universally read at the South, and serve, at least, to create harmony of views among Southern people. We have little idea that it will be read at the North. A fanaticism that discards the Bible because it recognizes slavery is blind and deaf to all that can be said on the subject. Buy the book and read it. Patronize those who defend your institutions. The following is from Senator James E. Harrison of Mississippi. The undersigned takes pleasure in recommending Bible Defense of Slavery, 
as being the best production on the subject which with he is acquainted. The whole subject is treated in a most masterly manner, exhibiting great research and learning, as well as superior biblical knowledge. The entire work is replete with interest. Every honest inquirer after truth should read it. James E. Harrison, Aberdeen, Mississippi, November 28, 1851. Another scientific gentleman of distinction, in noticing the book, says of it, quote, It is a rare work, and every man in the South especially ought to peruse its pages. Many authors have written upon this subject in times past, and we are convinced that it never has been handled so effectually and learnedly as in this work. The authors are clear, lucid, and forcible. Their arguments are unique, grand, and weighty. In a word, they prove themselves superior scholars, and men of great ability, in every step they take in the defense of this great subject. Close quote. A CHANCE TO DO GOOD THE VEXED QUESTION SETTLED BIBLE DEFENSE OF SLAVERY The work bearing the above title we have carefully examined, and can unhesitatingly say that it is the ablest work of the kind we ever saw, and so far as we have seen or heard, it is without an equal in the English language. Being clearly and fairly based on the scriptures, and confirmed by undoubted facts connected with our race, since the flood, it is, therefore, a work of immense value to all persons who wish to know the truth upon the subject of slavery, and particularly so with the people of the South and West, whose liberty, interests, and rights are now being insulted by European and Northern interference. W. D. Jourdain, Thomas H. M. Wynne, W. K. Wynne, A. K. Bagby, B. F. Dannis, H. D. Jett, M. D. Glasgow, Kentucky, March 8, 1851. The above work contains nearly 600 pages octavo, neatly printed and substantially bound, and will be furnished to subscribers at the very low price of $2 per copy it being the determination of the publisher to place a copy in the hands of every genuine friend of truth and reason, of the South and her rights. There can be no question of the fact that the well-being of our race, the peace and prosperity of our common country, the protection of our dearest interests of life and property, and the security of our firesides and family altars, are more intimately connected with the general circulation of this work among the masses than with that of any other in existence. Its tendency is not to engender strife or foster error and fanaticism, but to inculcate truth and give security and permanency to those institutions and relations of life which have been wisely ordained by God sanctioned by all human experience, and guaranteed by the constitution of our common country, the Magna Carta of freedom and human rights. Let, then, 
every friend of his country and of his god of the south and her rights of truth and reason of protection to life and property contribute his might to its support w s brown publisher january fourteenth eighteen fifty two glasgow kentucky from the southern kentucky argus bible defense of slavery this is the title of the work of which we made bare mention in our last and promised a more extended notice this week it is not possible that positions justified by biblical argument or reasoning deduced from profane history can be rendered as clear and conclusive as demonstrations in mathematics but the authors let in upon their subject floods of light which must have very decided and salutary influence upon public sentiment in reference to the peculiar institution of the south on examination of this book such an one as the multiplicity and arduousness of business engagements would allow we have found it to be indeed what its title imports a defense of slavery it is not exclusively drawn from the holy scriptures however the writers in the light of many pertinent circumstances apart from it as well as in that of the bible carefully examine the subject of slavery as it relates to the negro race and gives a more satisfactory account of the origin of black men of their color of the causes of their state of servitude and traces of their character as well in ancient as in modern times dealing en passant many pungent and severe strictures upon that pseudo system of philanthropy or fanaticism except modern abolitionism which threatens dissolution to the cherished union of the american states finally the authors propose a plan of national colonization that is deemed adequate to the removal of the entire free black population of the united states and all that may hereafter become free in a manner harmonizing with the well-being of both races such is a succinct statement of the main features of the book that the authors are men of the north had been reared and educated there in the very heart of a community of abolitionists and under the strong influence of its deep-rooted and bitter prejudices against slavery are considerations that must go a great way in recommending any views they may set up in tolerating or justifying the institution their opinions can but be regarded weighty infinitely more entitled to respectful consideration than would be opinions formed in harmony with the prevailing prejudices under which the authors were educated the conflict of sentiment with the precepts of early training is the strongest kind of evidence of its soundness and of the sincerity of the writers promulgating it these circumstances attending the publication of bible defense of slavery must therefore have the double effect to ensure for it a wide and increasing demand and per consequence 
as the disquisition is very able and convincing, produce a very decided and marked effect upon the popular mind in relation to its subject matter. And we commend it into the hands of all reading and reflecting men everywhere. End of Bible Defense of Slavery and Origin, Fortunes, and History of the Negro Race by Rev. Josiah Priest, A.M., 5th edition. Recorded for LibriVox by Joe Dickerson, June 2012.